All right, Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." And of course, as we've been pilgriming through this book, we're now at chapters 16 and 17. Uh, Lord willing, uh, next week we'll take the next two, uh, 18 and 19. But we've been pilgriming through here, and I, I really have been edified, and I've really gained wisdom at answering your verses of questions. And uh, so thank you so much for joining in, reading, applying your heart to uh, look at these things. Tonight, uh, Lord willing, I have three questions. Uh, One of the questions had duplicate, um, more than one person said, please explain this verse. That's how you kind of know that's at least one of the verses that you need to explain as you're going through. So the very first one, all of them are in chapter 17. And the very first one that we're going to look at is here in verse 16. Why is there a price in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Why is there a price in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom when he has no sense? And the question was, uh, uh, what, what in the world does this mean? They didn't say what in the world, but uh, what does this mean? And this, this is a fascinating verse on very, uh, various levels. And I think uh, knowing the person who asked this question, I think uh, very applicable for their own lives to be able to gain Uh, wisdom from it. The interesting thing about this verse in verse 16 is the Hebrew. The phrase that is translated, why is there, is a phrase that my wife and I and many Israelis when I lived in Israel use very, very frequently. And uh, basically it's literally translated, and this is the way it's used in modern Israel today, is translated this way. What is this? What is this? Like you like you would look at what is this? Like look at that. It's absurd or that's intelligence. And um, <clears throat> so I thought that was an interesting way that the Hebrew starts out here like what is this? Let's look at this. Look how strange this is. Well, how strange is it? Well, A fool comes in, and in his hand, there is money. So he has money, that's the word price. He has money in his hand, 
And what is he what is he buying? He's buying wisdom. He's got money in the hand and he's going to buy wisdom. And it's like, what is this? Money in the hand of a fool? And he has no sense? What in the world is this referring to? Well, the picture here that is being communicated is a person who comes with money, comes with the price of money in their hands to a wisdom teacher. So the scenario here is a student and a teacher. And of course, we know all about that today, right? Our young people here probably... I know they're aware of it, but they're not directly impacted by it, but their parents pay money, hopefully, (laughs) to depart some, I'm going to use worldly wisdom in a good way, worldly knowledge, math, arithmetic, reading, right, to the student. And this is the picture here. You have uh, a person, a student. We already know he's not wise, right? He's a fool. And he has money in his hand, and he is coming uh, to a teacher who is going to teach him knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And the phrase, what is this, means here's, here's a person who has no heart to learn. Right? A fool doesn't want to learn. He doesn't receive instruction, right? Here's a person with no heart to learn, but... They're going to school and paying a fee to learn. Now, does that make sense? That makes absolutely no sense, does it? Why in the world would you pay money to attend something and you have no intention to learn what you paid money for? And surely, if you think about it, it's like, what is that? That's, That's absurd, isn't it? And as I was reading through here, I thought about how much of a fool I was as a young person. Attending college, my dad dad paid a lot of money for me to go to college. And I was lost, of course, but uh, the first year of my college, I would go to class. After the first class was over, I would wait to talk to the teacher, and I would ask the teacher one question. Do I have to attend your class to pass it? And if they said no, all I had to do was take the test. I never came back to that class. What is that? That's crazy, isn't it? My dad didn't know anything about that. And I would do that at every class. And of course, when I met my wife, she was not a fool. And she really gave herself to learning her classes, and I really gave myself to sleeping. That's what I would do. I'd sleep all morning, miss all my classes, take my book, find out what it covered on the test. I'd read the book and go take the test. And I'd come out with C's and D's. I'd pass, and I was happy. What do you think about that? That's an idiot, right? That's an idiot to do something like that. Well, it's even more of an idiot if you're paying the money. Right? And so, this is exactly what he's saying. And I think anybody who is distancing themselves from any personal application to themselves 
if they saw this, they would readily agree that the student is a fool, wouldn't we, Mm -hmm. to do something like that? I mean, if you're not going to learn, don't go. Don't pay the money, right? Save the money. And so I wrote down in application, what is this? And I wrote this, a person pays his way through college. He may even incur $20,000 worth of debt, but he doesn't give himself to study to acquire the wisdom of the vocation of which he's attempting to earn a degree in. He's not going there to learn, he's going there to play. And that's sad to say the majority of what people do when they go to college. They're interested in parties and play and opposite genders and all kinds of stuff other than study. In fact, when I was in school, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, if you studied hard and didn't play, you were ridiculed. And I remember one person told me, I don't remember when it was, told me, said, you wait 10 years from now. 10 years from now, we'll see who has the higher paying job and who's got the promotions. And that does happen in general, does it not? And so that student who told me that was having worldly wisdom, was having some smarts about him, whereas I was the dumb one. But what do you think about this? What is this? A person will come and sit in church as a believer and not give themselves to study and acquire the knowledge the pastor is giving through the pulpit. What is that? Well, it's not the exact parallel, is it? Because I'm not charging money. But there is a parallel, is there not? And so, here, uh, I've said this before, we, we have studied so many of the New Testament books, books that probably in my lifetime we will not go over again. It's gone. And yet, brethren, how much Jesus Christ paid our redemption. We're in His school of instruction, as it were, free of charge. Should we not give ourselves to acquiring His wisdom? What do you think? That's the supreme wisdom. His wisdom is not the wisdom of a vocation. His wisdom is the wisdom of life. True life that we will stand before Him one day. So Proverbs 17, 16, very applicable verse, is it not? What is this? It is absurdity to do something like that. All right, well, Proverbs 17, 16, and the one that we got multiple requests for is the very next verse. Verse 17. You probably are aware of this verse. Let's see if you understand the verse. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Well, I will have to confess to you that I had my understanding corrected by my study. 
Maybe yours will be too. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Is this giving us permission as young children to fight with our brothers and sisters? I think we can safely say no. That is not what this is giving permission for. You say, but pastor, my sibling is born for adversity. Well, that's not what it means. And I did not think that that's what it meant, but I did think brother referred to family relationships, and it does not in this verse. So, a friend who loves at all times is paralleled with a brother is born for adversity. They're not contrasts, they're parallels. The word brother here is in the sense of a faithful, true neighbor or a faithful, true friend. Okay? So it's not in the sense of family. It's in the sense of community. So a friend is paralleled with a brother. Love is paralleled with as it were, with born, and all times is paralleled with adversity. So what he is saying here in this verse is, is that a friend, let's just take it as it goes, a friend loves when? All times or always. In other words, a friend, a true friend, is consistent in their love more than just an acquaintance. Today, we'll say, I have 550 friends on Facebook. You do not. You have maybe 550 acquaintances or people that you are aware of or you got their name or you can see their picture or you can see something about them, but but that's not a friend. A friend is someone who loves at all times. And it is like a brother born for adversity. In other words, a true friend really shows their true friendship when you go through adversity. Everybody see that? Okay. In other words... Here you got a true friend. Well, when the sun's shining, anybody can be your friend. Right? But a true friend will stand by you in calamity, in tribulation, in trial, in adversity. And brethren, I think those of us who have live for any length of time know that true friends are rare. Are rare. My home church pastor, uh, Pastor Robert Combs, told me very early in the ministry, he told me, he said, if in the ministry, Frank, you get one true friend, you are rich. They're not 
second-guessing your adversity. They're not saying you don't have the power of God. They're not being Job's friends to you. Those weren't true friends, right? They, they are there. They're not blind. They're walking in wisdom. They're walking in light. They're applying the Bible. Okay, They're not justifying if you're doing evil. That's not a true friend either. <clears throat> but when you go through adversity, they're there. They could be across America. When I pastored my first church, uh, about uh, eight months into that ministry, I had a family in concert with several other families in the church attempt to call a business meeting to vote me out as a pastor while I was on vacation. And um, so I ended up being notified on my vacation, and we were away, that this was going on. And immediately I got on the phone with my pastor, Pastor Combs, to get his counsel on what to do. That man stopped what he was doing and got in his car and drove up to Ohio to be with me. That's a true friend. And I want to repeat, if you have one true friend in your life, you are a wealthy person. I can honestly say, I know in my mind, there, there probably are others, but I know that if I really went through a severe trial, I know of at least two men who would drop what they were doing and do everything they could to minister to me in that adversity. Two true friends? You're like Bill Gates. <laughs> right? And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making that exaggeration. I mean that exaggeration. Relationships which we undervalue when we're young become very much valued as you get older. So a friend loves at all times, all times, but really shines when? In adversity. That's wisdom, is it not? All right, our last question is also in Proverbs 17. And it's in verse 27. And in asking this question, we're going to refer back to Proverbs 16, and verse 32. So I'm going to read both of those verses here together. Proverbs 17, 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Now Proverbs has already brought this out for our attention. And I'm just going to bring it back to our remembrance. I heard a man say one time, 
that the only thing, the only words he has ever regretted are the words that he spoke rashly. We speak rashly when we are stirred up on the inside. Now that can happen like that, right? Okay, that's those fangs that we have that Proverbs three, uh, Romans three talks about that that you can't see, but they can come out. Okay, when our spirit is stirred, or let me use another word, when your spirit gets passioned. It's like, I've used this illustration, it's like a Coke bottle. You take the Coke can, it's not open, and you shake it. What happens? Well, if someone's there, they don't want to be around when you open it. Right? People will tell me sometimes, I'm upset, I'm really mad about this, but I'll control it. And then they think about it, and think about it, and think about it. It's like a Coke can that you're feeding and you're shaking up. And I always tell them, if you don't solve it, it will come out. And it does come out, does it not? Passion can be good if it's under the control of the Holy Spirit. Passion is deadly if it's natural and fleshly. And honestly, most of our passions are stirred usually with our flesh. We speak rashly when we are stirred up about a circumstance. Social media today and much of the internet is designed to appeal and stir up our passions. That's the very design of those things. So what do we have here? Well, in verse 27, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who restrains their words has what? Knowledge. He who has a cool spirit. The word for cool is actually the word cold. If I would... If I was to say in Hebrew, my wife will understand this. If I was to under, if I was to say I am cold, meaning burr, I would say car li. Cold I am. Okay, literally. Okay, this is the word car. And so it's saying here a person who has a cold spirit does not not talking in relationship like they have no ambition. This is talking about being rash with your mouth. A person that has a cold spirit is a man of understanding. And what this passage is doing is it's magnifying the results of a man or woman who has genuine biblical knowledge and understanding. When a person grows in the grace and knowledge of Christ, they grow in a patient spirit. They become more patient, not less, more. 
It's the effect of God's grace coming in their life, working on their inner man. It's the effect of Bible knowledge entering into the soul where it's engraved upon the spirit. It's the result of that knowledge and that understanding being exercised, thought about, how do I do this? Thought about in our minds and our hearts. It grants us that cooling down of spirit in circumstances where normally we would just shoot off the lip. Okay, everybody see that? Okay. Chapter 16 and verse 32 is not talking about the results of true knowledge and true wisdom. It's actually exalting in the... What, what word would I use? In the person that has this, it says this is the true valiant person. So let's look at chapter 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger, that's what we're talking about, right? Cool, cool of spirit. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he that captures a city. The, the picture is, is a soldier. That's the mighty one. Now we think soldiers are kind of neat, right? Soldiers do great things. Soldiers fight for our country. Soldiers are warriors, right? And they were highly esteemed in the nation of Israel. They really fought. They didn't use drones. They didn't sit behind computer screens and just move the little camera. It was hand-to-hand, sword-to-sword, shield-to-shield, wrestling-to-wrestling type of warfare. And men who were valiant were honored. Well, do you realize that a patient person is to be honored more than a mighty warrior? And even more than that, what if this soldier not only was distinguished in his service, but he accomplished an heroic victory? He took a city. You remember back then, cities were fortified. You'd have to surround that city. You'd have to starve them out unless the Lord sent hornets in, right? But it would take a while to be able to get into that city. Okay. I would imagine that Darius, who conquered Babylon, was exalted as a mighty warrior. He dug under the city and diverted the Euphrates so that he could get into inside the city of Babylon. That that's a mighty thing, is it not? A person with a patient spirit is to be way more valued than that. A person who has a rule over his spirit, a person that is slow to anger, a person who restrains their words, a person who can take their spirit when they're stirred up 
and apply the right biblical knowledge and wisdom to cool down the situation in their heart. Wow! (laughs) Give that guy a medal. Right? That is the one who ought to be really put on the platform. Joab was not such a man. But he was exalted, wasn't he? A patient person is that way. And brethren, you ought ought to have already known that. Because I know of no more patient person than God. Do you? He waited over a thousand years for Israel to repent before He sent the Babylonians. Is that patient? Look at your Bible. You got a Bible in your in your lap? How many books? Yeah. About twelve hundred pages maybe, depending on how small the print is. <clears throat> God's not wordy. We just we just read one verse. How much wisdom in that verse? Does He restrain His words? Or does God just explode all over the place? Does God do that? Folks, if God gets angry, you know it's justified. Because He's not a being who gives Himself over to uncontrolled passions. That's what makes His judgments right and ours in many cases wrong. And when a society says, oh, well, you got a stirred up spirit, you just need to let it out. You're a fool. You're unlike Christ. And if a person says, well, I've been saved 40 years, I bet I can win at Bible trivia. But if that man has not grown in the control of his spirit, he knows nothing. Did everybody hear me? He knows nothing. And young people, let me just give a word of exhortation to you. In the future, you're going to meet a lot of people your age. And after a while, you're kind of going to look at the opposite gender and say, yeah, they look kind of cute. If that boy or that girl is quick-tempered, you better run the other way. I don't care how they're dressed. I don't care how much Bible knowledge they can quote. They're showing you their spirit. And to live with a quick-tempered man or with a quick-tempered woman is misery. It's misery. And the Lord does not want you to have a miserable family. And we ought to all, I think all of us need to grow in this area, don't we?
<clears throat> not compromise. Sometimes you got to say what you need to say, but you can say it patiently. You can say it firmly. You can say it rightly with wisdom. You can choose your words, right? Make them hit home. <clears throat> will you fail? Of course, and the Holy Spirit will gently instruct you through the Bible, and you'll grow. You'll grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And you will be seen in your latter days, you will be seen as a wise man and a wise woman. Let's pray.